one of the challenges I've run into, or even maybe just the stated reason that people do not do the right thing when it comes to creating diverse teams is really around the cost of doing so. And so even though there's all of this data, like very clear data about how good it will be for you to do this thing, <laughs> the immediate pain of it'll take you six to 10 months longer to hire a diverse team than if you just go with who you can get, which would be not a diverse team, um, that, and that it'll cost you more time in everyone interviewing more people. It'll cost you more time because there'll be dissension among the ranks when decisions need to be made which is all good. It ends up yielding in the long term, a better product, a stronger product, a product that meets more people's needs. So the macro view of it is huge, is billions, trillions of dollars of benefit. Welcome to the Data Binge Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders, focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, Hey everyone, welcome to the discussion today. As a heads up for subscribers and folks that find this podcast a good place to frequent, I'll be giving you the heads up on future live discussions where you can actually join in and engage in real time, ask questions, be a part of the conversations. And I typically read many of the questions and comments out loud. If being a part of this podcast community sounds like an awesome opportunity and you'd like to engage with us in real time, I encourage you to do so by connecting with me on LinkedIn by typing Derek Wesley Russell in the search bar at linkedin.com or by following the Data Binge podcast company page. You can also find me in similar ways to watch On Demand on YouTube and Facebook if those are your preferred on-demand video consumption vehicles. The next live broadcast I'll be doing will be on Simply Tech Live, a live program a colleague and I, Ali Mazahari, are hosting. So block your calendars for Thursday, June 4th at 11 a.m. PST via the LinkedIn event, which you can attend via the link I will provide in the show notes. The broadcast will be featuring April Walker, Senior Director of the Microsoft Technology Center in Philadelphia on the topic of the evolution of diversity and inclusion in tech. April is a fantastic speaker and amongst her many accolades, she has 30 plus years of experience in tech at places ranging from NBC Universal to AOL Time Warner. And she has a lot to contribute, as you can imagine, on the topic. Okay, are you ready for today's discussion? Noelle Silver is the VP of Digital Technology at National Public Radio, also known as NPR, where she leads the engineering organization across initiatives ranging from the Alexa Skills platform to mobile application development. Noelle has over 20 years of experience in tech. As a principal program manager in the enterprise voice group at Microsoft AI, she led programs that empowered developers with AI algorithms that help applications see, hear, speak, and understand user needs across the Microsoft application and tooling portfolios. Before NPR and before Microsoft, Noelle was at Amazon Web Services for four years, spending three with the Alexa group as an evangelist and technical manager for the Alexa and Echo. Across her many other experiences, you'll find that Noelle is surely an icon in the voice-related AI space, as she's personally built a gambit of over 100 Alexa skills relating to all things enterprise voice, and as you'll also learn, mental health and self-development. And as a note to this very special month of May, Mental Health Awareness Month, if you didn't know that, Noelle talks about what it really means to be self-aware and self-flexible, conscious, awake, and kind, emotional skills that we all need to train, especially in today's challenging health, social, and political climate. Amongst Noelle's interests, both personally and professionally, she is the founder of the AI Institute, which empowers organizations to think more deeply about AI, and she's also a founder of Women in AI focusing on the amazing work that women are doing in the AI field, ranging from voice to augmented reality. Noelle's been on NBC News to talk about how robots can make meaningful contributions to the arts and was recently identified across the online tech community to be the number one in a top 10 lineup of the best keynote speakers to have at your AI events. 
Today's discussion topic, building AI to reflect our diverse world, will be an all-up discussion of the challenges, the focus areas, the concerns, and the realities of how the people, data sets, and AI models are going to shape the future. I hope you love this episode as much as I did, and I hope you feel connected to the conversation because as you listen, I'm really thinking about you as the listener, and I'm with you in this journey to open our minds and seek out new experiences and ways to be a better leader, both in the office and at the playground. It's going to be good for our future, and we all really do have the opportunity to make a sizable impact on that future today if we put in the hard work today. If you haven't done so already, and if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a quick review of this podcast. And for those that do, I will be selecting several contributors of the best reviews to be a part of this podcast in a future episode, which should be really fun. Thanks for listening and hoping the very, very, very best of safety and health in these uncertain times to you and your family. Now I bring you Noelle Silver. Noelle, how are you? Hey there, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, this is really exciting. We've been trying to plan this uh, for almost a a year and a half or so, quite a bit. It's crazy. It's too long, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and a lot of things have changed in your life. Would love to understand Look, I just saw, I think it was a, like a top 10 AI speakers to have at your AI event, like top 10 best. Yeah. Boom, you were, you were number one. Number and I, one. Like, yeah, you're number one. And then I'll put the link in the show notes to the podcast. And then I was reading this book by Max Tegmark on Life 3.0. He's like gnarly physicist for AI. He was number two. Yes. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. And so you're, you're a VP of digital technology at NPR. You were, you were working in big tech last couple of years. You've got four children, new job, you moved. How the yeah. heck are you handling all this stuff? That's right. I am the poster child for work-life harmony <laughs> right now. Um, I've literally had to, uh, there are days, granted, that I look at myself and I'm like, this is not, a, this is impossible. Normal people can't operate like this. Um, so sometimes I wonder how I'm able to even do it. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the things, you know, throughout this this interview about what I do. But yeah, I really feel like I am right now being tested to a degree that I never thought possible, where I have everyone, all the kids at home, you know, and I have my first son has Down syndrome. So he's got his, like, even if he was my only child, it would be enough to keep me busy and stressed. Um, and then my dad lives with me. Uh, and then I have a team of 55 engineers that I'm trying to keep going in a time where our business at NPR, I mean, this is showtime. Like we are trying to keep the America informed, but at the same time, we're a nonprofit. So it's just these, you know, these things are intention. Like how do we, how do we support our mission? And at the same time, make sure that our staff and our engineers feel safe and, and supported in their, in their jobs. And so it's a really, it's an interesting dynamic because I'm being pulled in, in very strong currents um, that are kind of opposing <laughs> forces. Yeah. And so yeah. I've had to really figure out how do I balance this out and how do I make sure that I can be fully present and feel even fulfilled in, bo- in both of these kind of very different aspects of my life. And you've always struck me as having just a tremendous amount of energy, a tremendous amount of positivity typically I tend to start some of these discussions with, Hey, let's talk about something positive just to get people in the, in the moment. I don't, I don't have to do that. that (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I heard something that great leaders are energy multipliers. Do you see that impact that you're having on people from a day to day? I think the more, and this is kind of what I hope more people will do, even though they don't see themselves like they look at me and they somehow see that I'm different or lucky or special, or I have some kind of special skills that I can talk to people on camera or in person. But I think everyone, you know, one of the things I think makes me a multiplier in that way is that I'm willing to be very vulnerable about who I am and what I'm dealing with. But I also have acquired these tools for being positive, for making a choice every, really every minute these days 
to just be happy, to be positive, optimistic, to know things are going to work out. There's plenty of reasons every day for me to crawl in bed and not get out. <laughs> you know, like I remember like last year when I went through this really traumatic incident, I remember being in bed and going, I see why this is so tempting to not want to like face reality um, and just like pull the covers over and just sleep your life away. I see yeah. it. Like I could feel that darkness, like pulling me in. But I, I mean, I've worked my whole life on this shift of mindset that in those moments, like I'm a, I mean, I want to change it. I, I don't want that bad thing to be my story. And so that's kind of what I do now. It's like, I try to encourage people by sharing them with my story, but at the same time being like, yeah, but that's just, it's, it's a very small piece of who I am. And I'm always trying to do something better, help someone, um, you know, mentor someone, talk to someone who feels like they just had something horrible happen at work and there's no way they're ever going to recover. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like by tomorrow, you'll feel different. By this afternoon, you're going to feel different. But I think some of us get caught up and and it's tempting, especially in these times, to sit in that place of despair. And I've just really honed the skill of feeling it and being upset and being maybe sad about it, whatever happens, but then pretty quickly getting to a point where I'm like, ah, what do I do about this? How can I use this to be better? How can I use this to, you know, not only help myself, help my kids, help other people, help children who want to, you know, go into coding. Like I instantly move into a solution oriented mindset, which is probably why I've always had the roles that I've had within companies. <laughs> And is, was that translation of different mindsets and shifts in how you're dealing with things? Is that, and I, we're going in, down this like personal torpedo. Into your, into, into your, <laughs> <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about AI, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but like, is this something that you cultivated on your own from going through adverse kinds of times? Or was this something that you got from a family member or a coach? Yeah. Or? So luckily I did not have to suffer like a childhood trauma. My dad, when I was like six years old, my dad introduced me to this concept of meditation, but he didn't call it that. And I actually do it with my children now. It's just like whenever emotions got heightened, he would teach me to just sit down and breathe. Um, and he's like, you don't have to react. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything like right now, just breathe. And I do this even now, like yesterday I was on a call and I was super excited in a good way, I think, but my energy was kind of, you know, just rocket fast. And I was, and I mentioned the concept of mindfulness to everyone on the call. And I was like, let's just take a breath. And I could feel the energy in my body shift in a second, just by breathing, like just by stopping the velocity of whatever was happening, whether it's good or bad, and just getting it to a point, this is, I have a, a mental philosophy called clarity over velocity. And whenever I feel myself, which is so tempting, especially being in companies like Microsoft and Amazon, go, 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 push, 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 deliver, 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 to like step back and be clear about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and make sure I'm being proactive in my response as opposed to reactive. And when you're moving fast, it's so easy to be reactive. And so, yeah, as a, as a child, I learned to just stop, not necessarily to do anything with it, but just to stop in mid emotional reaction and breathe. And I've luckily six years ago, six years old was a long time ago for me. So I've had lots of practice, but now I encourage people. I'm like, that's the biggest skill set that I have that allows me to not lose myself in moments where a lot of things are out of my control, you know, especially like these days, I have very little control over my life. <laughs> um, but how do I maintain peace? And then how do I stay productive? And the only way I stay productive is because I breathe and then I think and I get very clear about what I can do. And then I do the next right thing. That's why I love for those parents out there, <laughs> Frozen 2. I mean, that was like the whole theme of Frozen 2 was like, do the next right thing. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> Take a deep breath and just do the next thing you can possibly do. You know, I think in one of the books, like getting things done, this philosophy, they call it the strategic next action. But that one thing, like otherwise you get lost in the ocean of things that you could be doing and in the expectation tied to those things. And so really taking a breath and getting clear on what's your next step to move the needle. That's really what I think what's, what's helped me to maybe succeed in times of really intense struggle. And when you, when you mentioned frozen too, all I could think about is that's basically the reason why my 
internet upload right now is completely <laughs> suffering. But, <laughs> but uh, above and beyond, yeah, <laughs> above, true, above and beyond my my own selfish reasons for uh, disliking the movie, my daughter is <laughs> just infatuated with it. It's important for me, and I, I know we're going in this topic of parenting. I'm so I'm so wanting to be a better parent. I mean, it's something yeah. a lot of folks I think want to be, but I'm so focused on it. So I'm thinking about how I can do that. I did something yesterday. I wasn't very happy with myself. I just kind of got a little angry at my daughter and yeah. let she let she saw not I didn't yeah. raise my voice or anything. No, I she, know. It's just, just not you. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, I wasn't like talking in like a fun little like like goofy character voice that I usually do and and it bothered me and like I'm like what can I have done in that moment? I probably could have taken a breath. I would have handled that so much different, but then how could I pass that knowledge on to her? So I really appreciate you sharing that. That's that's an yeah, amazing. I mean, now like back. even my my three year old will sit down and she's overly like monk or Buddha on a hill. Like she'll sit cross legged and literally put her hands super tight together and be like, <laughs> but that's how it starts. She's three, and I'm yeah. like, hey, you know what? If that's what you think breathing is, like you do your thing, and and she'll look at me. She's like, I feel better, even though <laughs> she doesn't know what it means. But it's those, I mean, I feel like that's exactly what my dad did for me. It's like, it doesn't actually matter what it looks like, what it sounds like, what you're actually doing. Just make the intention to stop the velocity of the moment. And I feel like that's, like you said, you I, I don't do it either enough in my day. I wish there were times where I could stop myself. But I do know that I am much closer to those moments than I was five years ago. And I'm infinitely more closer to like stopping my reactions than I was 10 years ago. Like 10 years ago, it would be a full out <laughs> argument or fight, or, you know, like my emotional intelligence has grown as I increase my self-awareness, as I increase my ability to catch the way I'm thinking, the way my heart starts feeling, the way my body starts reacting, because all those are tangible things that the more you pay attention to it, what do they call it, the reticular activation system, once you see it and once you recognize it, you start to recognize it even more. It's uh, I think they the analogy people always use is like a new car. You buy a car and you I bought a white Murano and no one had them back then. It was a brand new car. Second I bought it, there were like 15 of them off the lot. And I was like, no one had this car before I bought it. And now I see them everywhere. But they were always everywhere. It's just now my mind is like, that's a thing. Pay attention to it. And so the nice thing is we can use that in our favor and we can identify things we want to understand, want to pay attention to like our body and like our mental state. And we can use that focus to actually bring that attention back. And it's hard. It's practice. Like I said, I mean, it took me like 10 years to get to a point where I feel okay about it, but I still every day have moments where I'm like, Oh, I am better than that. <laughs> like there's no reason my child needs to see me lose my cool. Or, I mean, they see me cry. I won't say on a daily basis, but like more often than I've ever cried before. And granted, I'm a crier. So you all should know that. <laughs> but, but like, it's one of those things where emotion just get you get so stressed where I'm like, I can't hear my dad and, and have my kids yelling and have to be on a phone call and have sent an email all in the same minute. It's, it's too much. And so um, sometimes it gets the better of me. And I wish I could just be like, it's fine. And I'm just not there. Yet. I, I suppose that's what enlightenment looks like. Yeah, <laughs> and you could just definitely. Like, Meh. <laughs> I, I'm a big subscriber to Sam Harris. He's got a, a yes. podcast called Making Sense. He's got an application, a meditation app called Waking Up. And his wife does uh, some series on the app for kids. And I do that every single morning. And being that we're in technology, there's this topic of KPIs and numbers and BI and like telemetry and observability when you're thinking about applications and you're there's all these things that you're checking in on from an intelligence perspective but doing the same thing with your body is the best way to approach those types of situations and it's right. freaking yeah. hard it's, that's right. it's really hard you don't got a dashboard you have to like really listen to it and it's that's it's right. a tough um, it's a tough I think thing i was like 20 years old and my dad bought me a biofeedback machine and when i was 20 i was like what kind of hooey is this but now I understand like what a gift that was because it, I didn't actually, like, obviously I don't still have it today and I don't use it today, but it did give me, like you're saying, this like visual tool for seeing what my bio was saying and doing in moments of stress or in moments of peace so that I could just hone in on what that was. So yeah, I agree. I think we are so good at 
getting capturing metrics and striving for a metric and a KPI or an OKR for work. And we just don't spend that same time on ourselves. And that's what I hope my morning routine, that's kind of what I try to do is like, let me set up some things that I want to monitor and observe um, so that every morning it's all about me. It's not about my job. It's not about my kids. It's not about even specifically like exercise or eating right. It's like my mental health. What can I do every day that'll move me in the direction of being, you know, the person I always, I want to be in every moment of the day, not just when I'm, you know, thinking about it or when I'm sitting there <laughs> breathing. So it's obvious, and you mentioned your team, a set of 55 engineers. So obviously you're a leader and it's pretty clear why you would be a good leader and why you are a good leader for not only your business, but businesses, things that you're working on, but your family as well. How did you become this AI character? Who knows? No, (laughs) I'm telling you that article when he, when he, I mean, and I never, like, I didn't interview for that. There was no heads up. I have a Google alert, which I do encourage everyone who's trying to build a personal brand. I have a Google alert on my name and it popped up one day and it was like, you're in this article. I was like, oh, that's nice. And then I read it and I'm like, holy mama, I am first in this list. That's so amazing. Um, But five years ago, I was a run-of-the-mill first-line manager hiring trainers for AWS. Um, And I think the only thing that changed between then and now, I've always had like, I've always been known in organizations, you can kind of check the recommendations from like 1998 all the way till now, they're all pretty much the same. You know, Noelle is the energy in the room, she comes in and everyone gets excited and, you know, she's got this positive positivity and she leads with optimism and mindfulness and like, there's this constant theme throughout my entire career. But what happened at like in 2013 into 2014 was Alexa was born And I decided I was willing to let go of everything I had built. And I had built a very significant career around cloud, web services. I mean, I spent 10 years at IBM on the middleware application server, WebSphere. And I did a lot of work to create this brand for myself. And I literally like threw it out the door. (laughs) And I was talking to a VP at Alexa um, who's very inspiring, who looked at me and said, you have a chance to redefine yourself right now. And I think this is like life lesson, you know, number 42 or whatever. But in this life lesson, he was like, you can redefine yourself and be anyone you want. You have the aptitude to learn anything that you want. So who do you want to be? And he has, he had two, two daughters at the time. He's like, I would love to see a woman, specifically a woman of color, be on stage talking about this technology, be a leader in this technology so that when they look up as 12 and 13 year olds, they see themselves up there and they go down a different path because they can see themselves. And it's not just, you know, a typical non-Noel looking person. And so I think that was the first thing I did was say yes to completely letting go being at the top of my game to going all the way down to like being ninth, like in ninth grade in high school. Like, you know, you go from like, being a senior one year to like being like a peon, like bottom of the totem pole the next year. It's super humbling. But I think that was part of the joy of it is that I had to be humble. Um, Granted, I'm a naturally humble person, but I took on this job at Alexa. And then once I was there, uh, as I started delivering, which I'm an over deliverer. (laughs) So as I started delivering results and making customers happy, you know, uh, the executives would come to me and be like, oh my gosh, you have to talk to this person. I mean, I was in the room when Target was making their decision about whether or not to put Alexa in their stores, which turned out to be a pivotal decision, by the way. Um, Best Buy, same thing. I was in the room with their CEO making those decisions. And I was there because I was passionate about what I did, but that I did my homework and I knew it like no one else. And so I feel like I, w- I was put on this trajectory and it became self-fulfilling at that point, right? I just wanted to keep being the best, learning the most. I'm still an infinite sponge around this. And then after four years at Amazon, three of them at Alexa, Microsoft was the next stop for me. And it was an evolution. I went from just NLU on Alexa, just natural language, and moved into all of these amazing AI models that I am now convinced need to be used together, like computer vision and text analytics and sentiment analysis, like all of these things that 
shouldn't be used in these little silos to satisfy yeah. specific use cases. Like this is the, you know, that's why I recently wrote on Twitter. I'm like, I think I'm a futurist because I don't see a world where IBM does this and Amazon does this and Google does this. Like I see this world where we commoditize these technologies and we build solutions that are fully integrated, hybrid, best of breed. And we don't necessarily care about the stamp of the company's name that's on the thing. That's a long time from now, but I do. That's that's the vision I have for the future. Um, and now we're in a place where our technology is able to do the things I've always thought about. You know, it's kind of like when a science fiction person <laughs> finally realizes there's tech that does the thing they wrote about 30 years ago. Uh, I feel like that now. Like I've been thinking about these ideas for decades, but now the tech is there. So now I just need to get developers to build it and use it. I'm seeing that a lot just on the street, talking to customers about what they're going through. And it's always this new, Google's got this, their auto ML platform, Microsoft's got cognitive services, AWS has their own SageMaker type pre-built AI services. And you're in this world where you just, if you're a developer, you just can't learn everything. That's right. Um, And I mean, unless, and I've been taking some courses and I'm, I'm starting to feel like an API jockey. And I like, I'm just like, you know, there's so many different things to learn. And I, so you said you're an over deliverer. And what does that mean to you? Are you just trying to exceed a task? Are you trying to do more than what was asked? Yeah, what- so that's a good question, because I do think it came from a career of being the only female and usually the only brown person on my teams. And unfortunately, just due to the nature of the world and unconscious bias, my work would never be seen as equal, even if it was, or even if it yeah. was a little bit better, it would just, I would always have to struggle to, and so I stopped even trying to meet people right where the bar was. I was like, if I massively exceed the bar, there's no question. And so that's, so that's where I got very passionate about KPIs and like customer satisfaction ratings and things like that. Because I was like, look, if, if everyone around me is at an 80, I'm going to be at a 90 or a 95. So there's no question as to my value. It's it's an unfortunate situation because I shouldn't, you know, people have told me this. They're like, you shouldn't have to work that hard. You shouldn't have to double down. But that's just, you do. In In my experience, and I always tell women in tech, yeah, it sucks. But at the same time, I'm actually better for it. I don't. It's not like I sacrificed my family. I was able to have four children. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, like, we're doing good. Um, but I'm not sacrificing anything to do that. It just raised my 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 bar of and it, and the interesting thing about it is it's really not that much extra work to get that extra you know bump. Like I do probably one percent more than my peers, maybe five percent more. But it ends up yielding, you know, it's kind of like the Pareto principle, right? It yields so much Over because time. no one else is doing that. Yeah. And so I'm seeing kind of exceptionally. Now, the challenge with this, though, uh, is that the other side of overachieving is that you are constantly doing things that your leadership did not ask you to do. Right. So absolutely. You're, you're trying to like and it's all good for the customer and it's all good for the company. But in the very specific leadership, like when I have a specific leader that is managing me, it's a personal relationship that I need to manage. And so over the course of my time and my career, I've learned to manage that a little bit, but I call it wing clipping. At some point, someone says to me almost in every job I've had, just do the job we hired you for. And if you don't want to do that, maybe this isn't the right job, even though I'm easily clearing the bar of what was needed for that job and doing more than that. They just don't want that, that ambition that like, they don't like seeing my name show up on an email from their peers saying, Oh my gosh, Noel did this thing. Thank goodness. You know, this is awesome. Like they don't, it's just become uncomfortable. So, so knowing that I now try to manage that relationship a little bit better, be very transparent about the work I'm doing, but no matter what, when you're overly ambitious, it can, People, you know, it can take, people can take it the wrong way. They can see it as a threat. And when they do, and they're your management team, that can turn into career limiting conversations. And that's what has ultimately happened to me in a couple of the companies that I've worked in. So now I try really hard not to, not to do that, um, not to irritate my leadership by my over ambitious nature, but it should be okay. You know, I encourage people to be ambitious. But I also encourage us to create a new level of leadership 
that's willing to let people be better than us. I think that there's a weird old school leadership mentality that you can't outshine your manager. And I want a whole team of people that will outshine me. <laughs> like I can't yeah. get enough of that. Um, but that I'm, there's not a lot of people that share that perspective, or at least not in the teams that I've been a part of so far. So Caleb Dunlap, a top know, recruiter. Caleb. Yeah. He said, I absolutely adore Noel. What an incredible leader. Miss you at Amazon. <laughs> oh, Caleb. Oh yeah. We used to see each other in the halls. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm, I'm so glad that you went there, Noel, because a couple things, one, and being a person of color, a person of multi-ethnicities, I know that's my competitive advantage because of that. It's forced me to work harder than everyone around me my entire life. And when you aggregate that style and that routine of working hard, you just become a machine that can operate at a different intensity, you know, when you, when you need it, I look at it as a, as a gift and, but you have to harness that gift and you have to have some amazing people around you to help you understand what the gift is and how to harness it and what, how to use it. But it's, it's, it's a science and it's like this personal development and relationships around you. Yeah. I I also see it like, it's like you said, you become like this machine and you know, you, you achieve peak performance. It's almost like when you get in the zone, if you're playing a sport and I get that way where I'm just like running through things. And it's interesting to me though, because people are look at me and they'll be like, how can you do that? You must not sleep. You must not, you know, like there must be something wrong for you to be able to operate at that level. But I agree with you. Like you, you end up as you work with it and granted, I've had a lot of great coaches, not in tech, but actually like business coaches that have worked with me and been like, oh, I know, I know your type. I have this friend who's a CEO and he always like, is like, you're phenomenal, but here's the boundaries you need to set for yourself so that you don't over yes yourself into a hole or, you know, that you don't overcommit and burn yourself out of something that you love. And it's these types of like little, you know, knobs and, and levers that I turn every day to increase the efficiency of how I work. Somebody asked me the other day, like, do I hack all day long? And I would say I probably do because I'm constantly, it's one of the things I learned from Amazon. They have a leadership principle called invent and simplify. And I was doing it long before I got to Amazon, which is probably why I loved it there so much. But um, but the concept of every day looking at what you do and how you do it, and then thinking, how could I invent a process or a tool or even a thought you know, process around doing something that would create more efficiencies. That's where I came up with my, my little morning routine is I was, I would get up and I'd read a little and work out. And, and by the, after an hour, I would have gotten a little bit done, but never really. So I had to create a process <laughs> and now I have an email and an alert system. And like, how do I create efficiencies, especially now where I have so little extra time and I have a lot of side hustles. I want to do so much to help people to do my job but then also to serve my internal desires, my values of helping women in tech and helping minorities in tech and sharing my experience, like creating content like this, like this is not easy. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's time consuming and knowing what to say and not to like totally mess up and say something that's not in alignment with myself. Like these are the fears I have. You know what I can't Well, well, that's what the overachiever is. Like if I could tell you how much anxiety I have like I constantly because I'm like, there's so much going on. You're flying so quick. Like, but I, I'm getting some of my friends are telling me that anxiety is what is, makes you polish. It, drives, or, you. That's it right. try it drives you or whatever you're trying to do. So yeah. some quick statistics around you're getting into diversity and inclusion. And these stats are maybe a year too old. I'm pretty sure nothing has really changed. <laughs> so sadly, uh, no, no, there, if anything, it might've gotten worse. <laughs> I agree. There's 50% as many African-Americans and Hispanics in tech as the rest of the se- the private sector. 83% of tech executives are white. I think everyone pretty much yes. knows this. Yes. But the unfair treatment and turnover costs from this entire thing of uh, women and harassment and not treating these different groups the right way and having them leave, $16 billion per year. And then diversity efforts in IT if there was more focus on it could result in an extra $400 billion in revenue. So there's these 
things that's like, okay, well, there's too many white men. Everyone knows that. But there's so much research now saying that diversity is a competitive advantage. It's something that's going to help us. You talk about these concepts all the time, but you talk about them specifically for machine learning, AI, and how we should be using these, let's call it advanced mathematics, yeah. to, to change the world. What is your view on this topic? Yeah, so I, I do have two kind of parallel thoughts on it. One is around the executive leadership, the team leadership, the team development side of it, and then the actual work itself and the models and the training data. Um, and both of them are equal problems in my mind. But one of the challenges I've run into, or even maybe just the stated reason that people do not do the right thing when it comes to creating diverse teams is really around the cost of doing so. And so even though there's all of this data, like very clear data about how good it will be for you to do this thing, <laughs> the immediate pain of it'll take you six to 10 months longer to hire a diverse team than if you just go with who you can get, which would be not a diverse team, um, that, and that it'll cost you more time in everyone interviewing more people. It'll cost you more time because there'll be dissension among the ranks when decisions need to be made which is all good. It ends up yielding in the long term, a better product, a stronger product, a product that meets more people's needs. So the macro view of it is huge, is billions, trillions of dollars of benefit. But the immediate look, when you look at how your teams are operating, if you don't have that macro view, it's kind of what I consider this mindful, you know, ability to step back and look at the big picture if you don't have that ability, you're going to be focused on quarter by quarter, right? Like your ability to, I call it like pull the lever on the train, right? To stop a train, like a model going into production. If you have this macro view and you know, if you build a good model that is, that has a diverse data set, which is expensive with a diverse team building it, which is expensive. And then also a diverse user base, <laughs> which is expensive because you can't just market to your old you know, clientele, you have to purposely start going where your where diverse audiences are. And that won't be your typical bread and butter for most organizations. So all of those things are really expensive to do in the short term. And most organizations, I mean, even now, I look at them creating, you know, like statements of impact or tenants around machine learning. And how do we empower engineers to stop things they think is unethical, meaning they haven't done the right thing as far as diversifying the amount of data or the amount of people involved in making those models. And even when those people yell, like, don't do this. It's a bad idea. This is going to cause trouble. They don't have enough ammunition or empowerment by the leadership team to actually stop a moving train going towards a $4 billion revenue target. Like it's, I don't, and I, it's a hard thing. I don't have an answer for it. Right. Like that's a hard thing to stop. Um, but the ethical thing to do is to stop because ultimately, as some of us have seen, research scientists will go in, look at these models, write a paper and say, you five tech companies, you totally blew it. <laughs> Your facial recognition model is extremely yeah. biased. And then now we're caught. Now, granted, someone on those teams said something like yeah. that. That doesn't that's not surprising. What's surprising or unfortunate is that they you know, it almost goes to this like oh, well, now you got caught, so you have to fix it. But they didn't have to do that. They could have fixed it proactively because a lot of the engineers that I know have this sense of intuitive, like this isn't right, but there's no power at that level to stop those trains. So that's where I, I mean, I do love Microsoft because I believe like they are the kind of epitome of what's possible. But even then it's hard to manage at every individual team level um, to see the vision of someone like Satya Nadella saying, we want to empower organizations, we want to empower everyone to be able to make these ethical decisions and in lieu of income, in lieu of revenue. And, but then when you go down, you know, five, 10 levels deep and they're building a model that's going to production, I'm not sure how close those two things can really be in reality in a, you know, when you have over 100,000 employees. I couldn't agree more. And it, it comes back to the individual. I think, and I'm I, the older I get, the more I'm starting to realize how important the individual. And if that individual has, is leading a toxic life from the 
uh, when you were talking about entrepreneurship and over exceeding to making your manager feel uncomfortable all the way to the team is headed in a certain direction. And then you don't think the data is diverse enough. There's all these people and individuals that when they come together, unfortunately, it's, it's feelings, it's emotions, it's self-esteem, it's all these different things. And that's really tough to figure out. And a value system. You know, I think one of the most interesting questions I was asked in a workshop, I think it was either at Amazon or Microsoft, but I went to a workshop and they said, whether or not, like, if you choose to align your values with your work on purpose, that's great. But whether you choose it or not, you will do that. You will align whatever you think is important to your work. And that's what you're saying. Like, this unconscious bias is very much value driven. It's like, what do we think is important? What are we willing to protect? And the only way to avoid it surprising us is to be very open about it. And that's why I really like, like Amazon has this great hiring culture. And that's not just because Caleb said nice things about me. Um, but they do have this great hiring culture because they are super candid with you. They're like, here's who we are and here's who we want. And we're going to ask you questions that demonstrate whether or not you, you share this value system. And if you do, you'll be happy there. And if you don't, you won't be happy there. And I think every organization and really every team should be very deliberate in what are your values as an individual and how do they contribute to the team? Because if they're in tension, it's literally what stress is all about. It's when your expectation of what's going to happen, which is I have these values around ethics and AI. If my team is not in alignment with that, they will always do things that cause me stress. It'll be very uncomfortable for me the entire time I'm there. And maybe that's okay but I should know it going in. And so I really think that understanding what your values are as an individual and how they align to the business that you're in or the job that you have, I think that's critical to really being able to, you know, gain a confidence, but also reduce the amount of stress that you have so you can make sure you're in the right place where your values are in alignment. I couldn't agree more. That's so right. And I'm just, I'm probably giving too much information here, but uh, one of my therapists uh, slash PhD coaches, whatever you want to call them, uh, people who would listen to me talk, yeah. <laughs> essentially, uh, told me when I was ta- asked a question about happiness and why it's so hard for me to find happiness or what is, what is it? I was asking questions about this thing, happiness. And he said, well, there's no sh- such thing as happiness. It, it's really, what are your values? It's just your pursuit against your values. And how right. do you, and how do you get there? And those values change over time. And all you have to do is understand what those are and then seek them. And that is what you're trying to define as happiness. And I love that you underscore this point about values. Rodney Campbell, he's a he has a, a podcast called More in Common Podcast. He just tuned in and said, Noel is dropping straight fire right <laughs> now. <laughs> right now. And, That's awesome. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, and Caleb asked a question. He wanted to know if we can de- demystify or help communities of color understand the value of AI. Uh, when they may see the potential of harm or negative impact? That's a good question. That's a good it's, question. It seems like education, it's all, for me personally, I think it's all about education. Before I was educated on AI, I knew it was, you know, I've seen Terminator and all these different movies and the Matrix and stuff. Yeah. I didn't really know what it was. But when I started paying more attention of it to it and started understanding how much I actually use it in my daily life, then I started to understand the true power of it and then you're you're in the code. You're actually building this stuff, Noel. What do you think about this? Yeah, I agree. Um, I I I started very deep, um, obviously in natural language and Alexa. I got very interested in how, you know, one of the first things that people would ask me when I was in 2014, when I was first starting to talk about Alexa out loud to big groups of people, they would I would get off stage and they would ask me things like why is it a woman's voice? And why do you, you know, why are you teaching our kids and our adolescents to talk to a woman and dictate? And I really felt like there had to be a data-driven reason why we did that. Like, why would it be called Alexa? And why would it be a woman? And, um, and I really started, like I dove super deep. However, (laughs) over the last four or five years, I realized that there's actually some foundational concepts like NLU or natural language computer vision, you know, these AI models, though are very useful, really artificial intelligence from the perspective of the consumer is anything that does something 
you know, you click a button and magic happens. You know, like my dad, I have this, I have a series of Alexa skills and they're all super simplistic. None of them I'd consider AI. However, when he says, Alexa, you know, give me a one minute meditation and Alexa gives him a meditation to him. He's like, that's amazing. Alexa is like super smart. Or I, you know, he goes in and he's like, give me a kindness idea or give me a, you know, a gift idea for my mom. And it knows enough because of the code I wrote to deliver that value. It It's not necessarily machine learning that's solving that problem. And so what I felt now I, I go around and I try to encourage people to understand kind of three main disciplines or, or foundational lessons in artificial intelligence. And one of them is just the idea of being data-driven and how important having a data-driven mentality is to kind of artificial intelligence. And that artificial intelligence ultimately is using data to predict what you're going to do or say. And so understanding why data, how, how do you use data, like having that baseline foundation is important. The other thing, though, which I found is also super important, <laughs> is the importance of diversity and inclusion, not necessarily culturally or gender wise, but just in thought. And I, I learned this as I watched Alexa grow is that, you know, people, even people from like New Jersey who have a very distinct accent couldn't speak as easily to Alexa as someone from Detroit or someone from, you know, Cincinnati. And I thought it was fascinating that the per person who was building artificial intelligence would have to know to collect data from all of these diverse sources in order to make sure that that happened, like that it would even know what that sound was. My son has a New England accent. It shocks me. I don't know why. He says ka and lobster. I don't know where it comes from. But uh, for whatever reasons, he was like watching too much television of some character and Alexa can't understand certain words that he says. And it's based on the fact that there's no data in there to train it. So understanding data and understanding the value of this inclusivity, I think are baseline, you know, fundamental ideas that are needed before you get to the point where you understand why AI is useful. But to answer Caleb's question around like, there's so many people moving into tech, why AI? Today, any developer, there are 22 million developers on the planet and more added every day. Any developer can use an API and leverage machine learning like never before. So I have tons of videos on my YouTube channel, um, AI Leadership Institute, where I focus on like, here's computer vision and watch me build this model in five minutes. And I built like a, a one model to detect the difference between two cartoon characters. And I built another model that created a fictitious voice of a, you know, I don't know, I think you saw my J. Edgar Hoover bot, right, where I took like this guy who's been dead for a really long time and created a custom voice for him. So he could say whatever I want now, which I know sounds creepy and black mirror-ish, but it, it's not. I mean, it's just, it's technology, but it is the type of technology that can be used for good or bad. Um, and my intention is to make sure it gets in the hands of developers that'll use it for the right things. And the more of us there are, the better it is. Unfortunately, um, you know, it's, it's a tough road because AI you know, someone can use these models in their garage and build something not great just as easily as I can build a kindness act, you know, a kindness skill. Um, and we just the more good there is, the better. So. So, yeah, I think every developer should realize that at their fingertips is at least 20 AI models that they don't have to know how to build. They could just use to do their job. And and that's incredible. Even NPR. I'm trying to get them to use more AI because I'm like, do you know, you don't have to manually look at that spreadsheet. You could like have a AI model look at it and tell you what's important um, and save yourself 15 hours of work a week. Like that's really where I see the value is like, I can cut people, I can give people back time and time is really the only unrenewable resource in my life. I mean, you're so right. I mean, and going back to the API jockey thing, yeah, exactly. Uh, there, there was something I was trying to do the other day. I was trying to use this caption machine where they probably had human, they probably had a, a, you know, some kind of text analytics run through the video or whatever. And then a human would, would QC it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm paying like $1 and 25 cents for this thing per minute. I can just go into the Microsoft, into Microsoft Azure, go get video indexer yeah. and just like, and it, it's already living in there. Maybe it'll be 80% accurate without any training, but like it's, I haven't done it, but it's there. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, is that the company you're using probably, probably uses using it. 
I've walked into companies where I'm like, you should really use this. And like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. We were on the private beta. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So um, definitely. And, and as a developer, just knowing that these things exist, I think that's the saddest part about like cognitive services and even some of the other democratized models, though Microsoft by far has the most like developers don't know that they're even there. No, um, they every time I talk to a developer, they're like, wait, what I could do. I could access computer vision through an API. I could train it in a web browser. You know, you're uploading videos and tagging stuff, no code needed. Uh, it's just, it's an incredible platform. And I just, I wish Microsoft would talk about, you know, like it's sad because there's no evangelists like there used to be at Microsoft. Right. And so it's really kind of people are happening upon it and and people like us, right. Who are like, have you seen this? <laughs> we try to get excited about it, but, but as a company, I just don't think it's a big focus. And that's unfortunate because there are millions of developers that could do, you know, that are doing a lot of it either by hand building models from scratch and just ultimately wasting brain power that could be used evolving a thing as opposed to rebuilding, literally reinventing the wheel. I think you hit some of your tenants and I saw this article and again, all these things I'm going to post links to, I think it was one of your institutes. I think it's women's, your women in AI, women in AI. Yeah. Women in AI and it was happy international women's day. It was an article and you posted and you had a couple of different things and you said you hit the generational leadership and mindful leadership. You hit inclusivity and, and diversity in the data set. And then you paid some attention to talent acquisition. When it comes to talent acquisition, and there's so many different ways of doing this, and you, have, you even have platforms that use AI, like a higher view, right? that actually use facial recognition. And I have my own thoughts about that. I, I think that's yeah. way... I think, honestly, I think it's way better than having a human who's you know just got cheated on and is an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know... It's, there's a lot of bias in the humans, you know what I mean? Like way too much, but that's a whole different different conversation possibly. When it comes to hiring, what are the practices? And you mentioned some things from Amazon principles, values. What are some things that you're doing or that you have seen work and not work? Do you mean like specific to AI or just in tech in general? I think just, I just think when you're picking up good people. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I appreciate, uh, and it was like Amazon does hiring so well, I don't think people really appreciate it um, as much because, you know, it's not known, but behavioral interviewing, and you can Google this, like how to interview at Amazon, you'll see all these things, but behavioral interviewing, I think I have always been one, I can functionally test someone, I can figure out if they can do the job I need them to do. I don't necessarily need to have them on site in my face to know that. Like I can talk to them on the phone. I can look at their code base. I can ask them to walk through their code base. I am a, you know, I vehemently oppose live coding in interviews. I think it's cruel and unusual and not necessary, but that's just a personal leadership philosophy. But I can do other things that can help me understand someone's technical prowess. By the time I see them in person, now I need to know, not necessarily can you do the job, which the reality is, is if I have a go-getter, a ambitious person who's shown aptitude to learn new, new things, I feel like I can teach them and we'll figure out the functional part. The hardest part and the most important part to me is that cultural fit, is that how do you make decisions? And I don't want to teach you to make decisions in a new way. I want however you make decisions, whatever your value system is, whatever you know way you prioritize your work. I want that to already match when you get here. And I feel like that's what Amazon does well is they look for people that already match the velocity and, you know, craziness that is, you know, some of the projects at Amazon, they look for people that already think that way and already operating that way. That's why a lot of entrepreneurs like working there because it's very much like scrappy, roll up your sleeves, have multiple hats. Um, but they're very deliberate about, you know, that on the way in, I feel the same way. Like I want to, I want people to be, like transparent, candid, here is what the reality of this situation is. So many times I'm, I get surprised when I get to a place and I'm like, so I thought, I thought you said there was no nonsense, or I thought you said we didn't, we didn't act like this, <laughs> you know, yeah, and yeah. instead of just being transparent about like, we need you because you'll help us with these problems or we, you know, or not even admitting that they're problems, just being like, this is the way we work and we want to make sure you're in alignment with that. But a lot of companies and even us as people interviewing for these companies, we tend to, it's like being on a first date, right? We like, 
we dress up better maybe than we would normally and we talk a little bit better and we don't say the same stories or the tell the same jokes because we're like on this first date. And I feel like it's okay and people should feel encouraged to not have like to get to a point in the interview process, maybe super late, maybe right before offer where they have a candid conversation about like the reality of that position. Because without that, if you don't have that alignment, it's going to, it's not going to work out. And if you don't have a strong hiring process that encourages that all the way through you're me, like I'm the last bar in some cases where I'm the last one somebody comes to. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't think you're the right, like you don't, I don't think you think this way and you won't like it. And so I try to behavioral interviewing is how I, I do that. Um, I try to create questions that evoke a natural response to a situation that demonstrates where your values are. And, um, and I feel like that's a really like less than, can you write this code? Can you build against this pseudo API? (laughs) Um, But more like, you know, tell me about a time when your manager, you know, basically told you to sit down and be quiet and not do anything extra. Like, how'd you handle that? And I want to understand their honest opinion. Like, maybe I'm actually looking for the person who's going to go above and beyond anyway. Like, and they don't know that, you know, most people will be like, oh, I do what I'm told, (laughs) even though they wouldn't. So, um, so I like those kind of questions that test people's ability to be vulnerable and authentic in that process so that they know really more realistically what the experience will be. And I found that that reduces turnover. Um, Like when I build teams, I have people stay as long as I stay. I mean, then they stay afterwards, of course, but like I don't, people don't normally leave my team um, because I hire them to match me, (laughs) like to match my way of thinking, my decision-making, not necessarily my perspective on the world, but just like my velocity and, and, and the way that I like, I'm self-aware about things and that I'm mindful about things. I look for those values in the people that I hire. We were talking earlier and I guess it's, it's, it's easy for people who are super, they, they know what's going on in terms of looking around a room and seeing people that look different or have different experiences and kind of getting back to this diversity and inclusion piece, especially now with working moms. I'm very sensitive to working moms just because uh, let's just be real. Like I'm not doing as much as my wife is at any given moment. It doesn't matter how hard I'm working. She's got things she's thinking about. Oh, the sandals are too big. There's sand over there. Like, uh, you know, this, this child is coughing. Like there's like that stuff. I don't, it's just a different world of, of looking at data. And she's looking at a lot more data than I am in in our family. (laughs) But when it comes to women in tech, you having a having a family, raising a family on their own sometimes, many times. How do you keep them engaged in the work? How do you keep them engaged in wanting to learn? Is that hard? Yeah, I think that um, the number one, I guess, characteristic that I've struggled to, or that I've seen people struggle with, is really confidence. Um, so I had someone just yesterday ask me, like, they don't even want to start a family for fear of the fact that they can't do both. They can't have both. And I, of course, try to be like, look, Um, but the thing that I focused on was the expectation of who you are in these moments has, you, you have to be very flexible and kind with your expectations of yourself. Because I, of course, when I was earlier in my career, I had a vision of me being in my mind. I was like a stay at home mom with a full career. And that's just not, possible. Like I can't be home every single night for dinner. I mean, like what I'm doing now, I make three meals a day for all of the kids. I make sure they have snacks. I make sure that they're healthy. I make sure that they're on zoom for meetings and, and I have a full-time job. It's impossible. I can't do that. So what I encourage moms that are, I mean, if you're a single mom, this is, i there are no words. There are no words for the complexity that is our life. The only thing that I do now to maintain my sanity and be able to wake up smiling is I identify, which is part of my morning routine. I identify at least three things that I could do that are purely joyful, like just bring me joy. It turns out that working brings me joy. So that might be helpful, (laughs) but like this kind of thing, like doing an interview, writing a blog post, like helping someone on LinkedIn, spending a half hour with somebody who needs my help. These things bring me joy that I get no ROI on, right? Like, it's not like I'm getting paid to do it. It just, 
And, and I think getting paid would change it for me. Like it's just mm-hmm. pure joy. And in doing that, in committing to doing those things and letting the rest of the cards fall where they will, I shift my expectation to being this 100% corporate, amazing, like doing everything in my mind I think I need to do and being an amazing mom the way I pictured that would be. I had to adjust what that looked like. I call it a flywheel, right? As opposed to like scales where you're like work-life balance, you know, I'm going to be 50% parent and 50% worker. I can't do that. Um, So I actually heard Jeff Bezos say this work-life harmony, that it's more of like a a flywheel. And I kind of laughed at the time because I was like, seriously, what do you know about work-life harmony? (laughs) But but it, it, it actually stayed with me because I do see in my life, Sometimes I work really, really hard. Like yesterday, I had three live events, one that went, I mean, my oldest child had to feed my other kids because I didn't get off. I didn't get there. Um, and so that was a rough day. But like today, you know, like last night they were asleep before I even saw them, which is I feel bad about. But then today, like I woke them up. We read stories. I made breakfast. You know, I had a nice scale into the day. I only have this today, so I will spend the evening with them. We sit at the table every night, minus like last night was an exception. And we all go around and say what we're grateful for. And I mean, we just have these moments that are gold that fulfill me. And even though it doesn't equal like time-wise the exact same amount, it they are equal in my fulfillment to me. I feel fulfilled by what I do at work, the things that I do that bring me joy and the things that I'm doing at home. And if you can find that balance, that what I call harmony, where you, you know, what you're doing at work fuels your energy for what you can do for your family. And it just keeps on going. I feel like that's where the magic is. You, But holding yourself to a bar where you're balancing things and trying to be exactly the same amount of something to each constituency you're trying to serve. That is, it's kind of like what, um, you know, your, your coach said about happiness, like that will, you'll never be able to reach that. And you'll always be unhappy. Because it's a vision that's in, not possible. So reducing, you know, kind of taking a step back and looking what's possible and looking at what you can do to move the needle, I think is is the most, I mean, that's how I achieve happiness. It's how I can wake up and be like, all right, let's do this. Where most people are like, how do you do that? Um, well, but those, those are the tips I use for myself. And the, I mean, it's the thing at the, at the middle of the flywheel, that engine that's driving that thing, it seems like it's got to be your ability to live in the moment, like stay in the moment, stay present. Because if your yeah. mind is not, it's very, if you're like living harmoniously, like it's hard to jump off this call and then go fix some lunch and not be just spinning on something you said or the thing, that thing that right. you did. And then you're just sure. wasting. Yeah. And I think that's to your earlier comments there's so many different things that you can do to, to really train your mind to really live that harmony. Yeah, um, that's right. And let it go and realize, you know, one of my philosophies on kind of work is like, I do the best I can in the moment that I can do it. And then when, I, but when I deliver it, like it's done, I mean, I'm willing to, of course, get feedback and modify the next thing, but I don't ever go back and edit a blog post. I don't ever go back and like ugh. edit things or change things. Like I just create the next thing. Like, V2 or the next version of the book or the next podcast. There are so many opportunities to create. And in my, again, this is very Noel, but I, I get energized by creating. I am not energized by editing, changing, you know, like shining things and dotting I's and crossing T's. And I think that's part of the authenticity of what I do, you know, and, and the voice that I have is that I'm unapologetically like, this is kind of it. And then I won't go back and edit it or say, Oh, I really should have said it differently. I will leave this call and be like, that was so fun. And I'll go on to the next thing. Um, and, and sometimes I do say things like, I'm sure I'll maybe somebody will ping me and be like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. They'll give me some bad feedback. It does happen. People have said, I don't know if you saw this recently, but someone on YouTube was like, really, you should just let the men do the technical talk because, women are out of touch with technology or something like that. It was like horrific. And, uh, but it bothered me. (laughs) Um, And so it's in those moments that I really have to like, just let it go. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I, I struggle with it, but but that's when you call your coach. That's right. (laughs) That's right. You're like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I know we're running over and I'm just imagining like your house, like 
like one of those old Roadrunner cartoons with the ac- <laughs> the Acme powder and there's a fuse and it's like going and it's going to yeah, yeah. just explode if you don't jump off this call. Oh so God, last yeah. thing, I tend to, to, to end the calls with this last question. If you had seven days to accomplish anything and you had unlimited resources, what would you do? I should have got this question ahead of time. <laughs> I, I, I've gotten some. I, the one I've gotten is uh, they would get a bunch of lawyers and go in the CBS's corporate office and figure out a way to get them to stop printing out long receipts. Like, I, I, <laughs> got, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's true. That's that's like saving the world too. Yeah, um, yeah. That's anything. Really it could be anything fun, whatever. That's really funny. Oh my gosh. So there we go. Uh, oh gosh. Okay. So seven days. So, I mean, I have a heart for people. Um, and I mean, right now it's terrible because we're in this crisis where we can't be together, but my vision, like my dream is to create kind of a, you know, and a place where I could help people become more Noel like, right. Like harness their ability to be high-performing, optimistic, positive leaders. So I would probably create like a retreat kind of thing, like a retreat center. So this all comes back to when I was 17 years old, I let a re- I was voted by my young church. I mean, there was like 400 church people, kids, and they voted me as their leader. And I led retreats for a year for that organization from like 17 to 18 years old. It's where I learned to speak on stage. It's where I learned to like, be able to express my values as I was sharing it with people without being oppressive and like, you must do it this way. Um, and I loved it. And ever since then, I was like, gosh, like normal, non kids going to church retreats, like this is a thing people should do. People should go. And we would write anonymous love notes to each other. I have one in my drawer from when I was 18 years old of all these people that I do not know who just wrote, you know, Uh, your smile is infectious, your attitude is generous, like all these just really nice things. And believe it or not, I've had days where I read that and I'm like, it matters, right? It's kind of like, you know, like there's no troll in there. (laughs) There's just, it's just good. And so creating an environment where people can feel loved and supported. And number, I guess the second part of that is I just want more people to tell their story. And I feel if there was a safe place where people could just hone their skills enough to get some confidence, there would be way more people doing LinkedIn lives and blogging and creating podcasts. I don't think, you know, I I hear so many people say, well, I'm just a project manager. Like who wants to hear my story? And so, yeah, in seven days, I'd want to create a space where people could come and learn not, you know, my philosophy on life, but more importantly, be given a platform to practice and gain confidence in actually telling their story to the world. Because I, I, I just, every time someone tells me their story, I'm like, you do know that a lot of people can be helped if you just said that out loud. And they're like, yeah, no, it, I don't, there's no value in me doing that. Or what do I have that other people need? So I, I'd love to be able to you know shift our world consciousness by helping more people do that. Thank you for that, Noel. That's, that's really awesome. So what's the best way to get a hold of you for folks that would just uh, unlimited ways, YouTube, LinkedIn? Yes. Oh gosh. So many. Um, so the best way is LinkedIn. Just connect with me on LinkedIn. I encourage you to do it. I, uh, it's great if you could just be like, Hey, I heard you on the podcast. Um, and let me know. Uh, I also have a website, uh, noelsilver.com. I try and post like my latest content and videos and photos up there just so I can have one place where I store it all. But LinkedIn is really the best. I have, uh, all my organizations, my side hustles uh, are on there. And I did recently just start a new podcast called The Silver Lining with Noel Silver. It's on um, definitely on Spotify. I think it's on everywhere podcasts are these days now. But um, and the purpose of it is just to share positive stories and not just mine. So if you have a story of overcoming something, I'd love to hear from you. And the best way to start that is just connect on LinkedIn. But thank you so much. This has been really fun. Thank you, Noel. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.